0: Hello and welcome to Aisha Presents with me, Aisha Narbi. In this episode, we will be discussing current awareness of PMDD, both within the healthcare community and the general public, and how this can be enhanced. I'll be talking to Laura Murphy, who is the Director of Education and Awareness at IAPMP, the International Association of Premenstrual Disorders. She is also the founder of the patient-led awareness campaign, Vicious Cycle, making PMDD visible, which she started in early 2017. Laura lived with PMDD undiagnosed for 17 years before having her lightbulb moment. She has been the whole way through the current treatment options and is now three years post-op, having had a total hysterectomy with bilateral orthorectomy for PMDD. This episode touches on emotive and personal issues which some listeners may find distressing. If you or anyone you know are affected, please click on the links in the episode's description for further advice and support or contact your GP. You may find it useful to make a journal and track your moods during your cycle. This may help you and your GP or therapist with a diagnosis and treatment plan. This series is sponsored by Arima CBD oils, which many people have found helpful in alleviating the symptoms of PMDD. Arima have an extensive range of CBD oils in varying strengths. Their researchers have extracted pure hemp oil from organically grown cannabis plants without using harmful chemicals. All of their products are manufactured and tested in the UK in a strict and methodical environment making Arema CBD amongst the purest on the market. CBD is reportedly good for a multitude of health problems including pain relief, anxiety reduction, mood enhancement and heart health. Visit www.arema.co.uk to make your purchase. If you use my code Aisha10 you will receive 10% off on all orders. I'm now joined with Laura Murphy. Hello, Laura, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Honestly, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, Just before we start, I know we briefly spoke before this and I want to say um, thank you so much for educating me on the fact that PMDD is not just a women's issue but also an issue for trans men and people who define themselves as non-binary. Because we often go about, our, like, you know, we often go about thinking that periods and everything to do with periods and etc. is to do with women, when actually it's not. And you pointed that out really nicely to me when we spoke briefly. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I think it's something, there's so many people in the PDD community that, you know, don't define themselves as women. We have plenty of people who are non-binary, um, people who are assigned female at birth. We have trans men. And I just think it's so important to be inclusive. You know, PMDD mm-hmm. is already so hard. There's no need to have extra additional challenges for people. So, yeah. yeah, we do aim to be as inclusive as possible.
0: No, I think that's the most, like it's the best way to be. And I think I'm so glad you told me that because this podcast is hopefully going to be as inclusive as it can be. And hopefully engaging to people who are suffering, who are interested in PMDD or just curious as well. So um, tell me a bit about yourself and your journey. Okay, so
1: I am now 41 years old and um, my PMDD, I think, started around the age of 17 when I took the contraceptive pill. Um, On day 21, obviously, we move on to the sugar pills. um, There was a big drop in hormones and, I don't know, my life just kind of changed forever that day. Um, I had a total breakdown I um, was hyperventilating, I went into a deep depression for about six months and then from then on in I had sort of you know really terrible PMS and also sort of long periods of depression as well. Um, I went through, I found out about PMDD when I was in my early 30s so I lived for 17 years undiagnosed and I went I'll, I'll say it as briefly as I can, um, I went the whole way through the the treatment plan and sadly I was one of the people that was um, treatment resistant and yeah. so I am now three years post-op for having a total hysterectomy with bilateral oophorectomy so that means your ovaries removed as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a really quite a huge thing that you went through and it's a massive like quite a vulnerable thing to do and quite scary thing to do to like do something so because you're taking something out of your body because of PMDD I mean it's massive but like when you said you went on the um, on the pill do you think that exacerbated your PMDD or did you think that triggered your PMDD in some respects? some some women I've spoken to have said you know going on the pill actually made me worse and others have said it's made them better so did the pill actually kind yes. of enlarged it for you? It's so hit and miss. I
1: mean, looking back, because everything's sort of retrospective for me, you know, my teenage years feel like a long time ago, but I know um, I was already having issues. So I was asked to leave school at the age of 16 because I wasn't Mm. turning up. Um, I Mm. clearly was showing signs of depression and was sleeping in and um, couldn't wake up and was exhausted and couldn't make it to school. Um, But that day taking the pill when I was 17 was definitely like just a total game changer for me and I went through you know trying all the different pills and none of them reacted none of them I reacted to particularly well um so yeah it was definitely a trigger as such
0: um that that drop Mm. in hormones whatever it was that caused it as well as that I feel like when you're a young um, like when you're young anyway when you're in your teens your hormones are quite you know, they fluctuate a lot anyway and I feel like that is quite a vulnerable time period for people to get PMDD because you're still trying to figure out life still trying to figure out like everything about you and it's just a very sensitive time period I feel like with your v- hormones a bit all over the place anyway I think there should be something in place for education when it comes to um, schools and pmdd
1: definitely and well actually so um endometriosis, endometriosis uk have done some amazing work to push um menstrual well-being education into schools which is starting well it has started already actually although it's probably a bit off um bit off plan with corona <laughs> but so they have um, menstrual well-being being taught in every single secondary school and that will include things you know about um, everything to do with menstrual health, and that's educating, you know, the boys and the girls, um, as it's defined in schools. Um, but that will uncover, that will include PMDD in terms of, you know, they'll be covering like, you know, how much, don't like the word normal, but how much blood loss is usual for a period and when yeah. to, you know, seek help. How much pain is usual when it comes to periods? How much mood changes is usual with, you um, with periods and menstruation. So PMDD is included in that in the in the UK. Well actually in England it's so far um Wales are very much resisting. Um so there's an organization called For the Women of Wales who are doing amazing work with Endometriosis UK trying to make that happen in Wales. But it is very much um it is very much changing. Yeah. trying to push it into you know it's now part of the school curriculum. So I think in the UK we are actually f- fairly far ahead with that yeah it feels like with you know women's issues as a whole women's health is so far behind the times you know but at least I think the UK are actually sort of front running in it yeah which is good for us but you know really frustrating to think how it must be everywhere else and I think the
0: reason because of that is because for years now there's so much stigma and taboo around period and there's so much period shame and It's just nonsense because throughout this series I've spoken to people like, you know, PMDD and relationships, PMDD and work, and it obviously affects you in your daily lives and the people around you can, you know, they get that energy from you. If you're in a work environment surrounded by men, surely they should know Mm. about these issues as well because they're working amongst women and they have every right to know what we're going through. Yeah, well, I think every person should have an understanding
1: you know you don't have to have a a deep knowledge but at least you know some knowledge so that you can empathize and make adjustments you know and I think like you say with the stigma I mean PMDD is kind of like the double bubble really it has you know period stigma menstruation stigma and mental health stigma
0: Mm.
1: so you know for so many years it's just been like put on the back burner and i think it's great there's so much movement going on about the moment you know with with periods it's amazing like to see everything on social media happening people just speaking so openly about it you know times are really really changing and i think for teenagers now and younger people it is just going to be so much easier because it's going to be just a total different landscape when talking about these oh for
0: sure like in the last two years seeing more like Positive period movements on like Instagram and like social media platforms like Facebook as well. Like, there's so much more compared to the last, let's say, like three or four years ago. And it's so positive to see that. It's going um, to, this mm-hmm. kind of led me to my next question, which is what inspired you to start an awareness campaign? Because obviously, having spoken to a few women before on this podcast, they told me. Their experience when they um, kind of went to the GP to get a diagnosis, and the diagnosis often overlaps with, you know, you might have bipolar. And it's always been that, like, I've heard this time and time again, obviously, having a misdiagnosis and having women confuse PMDD with bipolar. And it's such a shame. And I feel like it's quite hard to differentiate, but with PMDD, it's obviously cyclical. So, what inspired you to start an awareness campaign to make people more aware that, you know, this is PMDD? So the reason I decided
1: to start the
0: Vicious Cycle campaign
1: was very much relating to what you just said, you know, hearing the same story over and over and over again. And at the time, I was running the UK D support group on Facebook. Yeah. And um, it was just the same story over and over and over, really. People who lost years to this and had only just found out about it people who you know lost relationships were scared of telling anyone how they felt every month because they thought they'd lose their children um, and you know it's every year or every month that people lose to it it's just too much you know if they're not supported and if you don't know what you know I went 17 years undiagnosed and that's a long time to think that you're you're broken and weak and that how you're feeling is your fault and it's so damaging to people so I think you know the awareness campaign was really just to push it, push PMDD out into the the limelight, and yeah. well push it into the mainstream, you know, so that because you'd hear people talking about mental health and they talk about bipolar, depression, anxiety, never any really mention of PMDD, and you hear people talk about like gynecological problems, so PCOS, endometriosis, um, etc., and still never any mention of PMDD so yeah. it's like well why is this not included in the conversation because you live with it you know how damaging it can be it needs to be have equal status
0: yeah it's so um, yeah it's so unheard of as well like when you talk about it like I know from my experience I'm sure with you and others Whenever I go to the GP or nurse, I say, look, I've got PMDD. They have to, when I first went, she looked at me and was like, what? What is that? And she actually had to Google it. And it was so patronising. It didn't give me any sort of reassurance at all. So it's no. similar it's to what you're saying. very, very common. It's very, very common. But I think
1: the one thing we do have to remember is that PMDD is a relative new diagnosis. It was only officially created seven years ago. So, I mean, in the big scheme of things... And medical education it is really a young diagnosis so work is happening to improve it and some really exciting things are coming but i completely understand the fr- frustration you know i've i've been there myself i've my doctor didn't really believe in it and i've been told you know i'll just come off all your medication yeah. you're too young to be trying all this and they're like well
0: I was, speaking to Anika. I, was, yeah, I was speaking to Anika Wahid actually at the very first episode, like the introduction to what PMDD is and she's a patient um, expert and she was telling me like this kind of level of like doctors when they're telling you, oh, you should come off all this, like, are you sure it's PMDD? And they're trying to like make you second guess yourself. She said it's actually medical gaslighting in a way because it actually questions yes, your own reality. And it questions you. And you think, okay, yeah. well, if it's not that, am I going crazy? And I remember well, when I went to thing, the doctor. Yeah, when I went uh, to the doctor, she was oh, like, sorry. Um, "Are you exercising? Are you eating well?" And that's just very patronizing, isn't it? Like, as well. I think there's
1: there's got to be a balance. You know, there's of course those elements are important. However you know PMDD is a chronic health condition and the medical gaslighting I think happens all the way across women's health like it's not just yeah. PMDD you know you see stories every day about people having you know chronic bleeding you know chronic pain like endometriosis mm. you know and I, I I think that doesn't relate only to PMDD where people are sat talking to a healthcare professional and they don't know what they're talking about but I think you know I think so many healthcare professionals don't understand how it is to, to live with a condition and how severe it can be. So while I get, while they're saying, you know, self care and a good, good lifestyle is a good, healthy lifestyle is important. Well, of course it is, Yeah, you know, and we could say that for every single condition, but that doesn't mean that the person in front of you isn't suffering, you know, and would you tell someone who had, um, bipolar you know or just go and exercise
0: it just makes you feel just so and, alone as well like even more alone like <laughs> oh if I, I'm i doing all of that and that's still not helping me it's just kind of puts you in a sort of rut like
1: yeah I mean it has to be start of a it has to be part of the building blocks mm. but if that's the only option they're giving you then that's not very helpful yeah you know it's um it has to be it has to be part of it you know you and and I'm the worst for this you know I am I don't have a particularly healthy lifestyle and when I was living with PMDD I definitely did not because you know near the end I was sort of losing two weeks and I either wouldn't be hungry or I just want bread yeah or the beige (laughs) two weeks yeah and then in those two weeks when I felt well I was like I want to go out for dinner I want to see my friends you know I want to go out for that lunch, you know, and I want to enjoy it because I'm eating yeah. out and so I'm gonna have what I want, you know. So I am not one to preach about healthy living fully. Hands <laughs> <laughs> up about that one. But I think you know, it, it's about balance, it's about saying to someone, you know, well, these are the the stepping stones that we start from. Like, you know, yeah. are you having a lot of caffeine? Are you um you know, there's so much substance abuse and like self-medicating in PMDD, you know, and I'm sure so many of us have experienced that, that those things are important to mention. But if that's the only option they're giving you, rather than Mm. real empathy, that's not helpful.
0: I feel like I was also speaking to, um, well, I spoke to rather, um, Natalie Ryan Hebert in the PMDD and mental health. And she made a very interesting point that sometimes PMDD can really manifest itself and really magnify down to a specific trauma or something that happened mm-hmm. and r- around the luteal phase do you know like the week before you come on your period if there are certain triggers of involving something that you went through it can really like bring on the PTSD and the panic attacks and to be fair, it's something that I went through. I went through something quite traumatic a few years ago, um, and like, if I am triggered by anything like that, it really like tears me down and it gives me P- PTSD, re- especially in my luteal phase. I won't be able to speak about it, but it's just. And then once you come on, it's like oh, I can actually breathe again. And I can see things rationally, and I know that was in the past, and I'm stronger than this. Do you feel like that mm-hmm. is true in, to some extent about the trauma link?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it is like a magnifying glass, isn't it? You know, and then you put in the dysphoria and the ideation and it just kind of becomes this tightly wound complex.
0: Yeah. What does trauma uh, to unpick? What does in awareness entail and how does it manifest itself? So, do you know when you create these awareness campaigns, what, how what does it like how does it manifest itself? Sure, so um, there's two sort of
1: different strings to that for me. So in terms of Vicious Cycle, it's a patient-led project. So it's about reaching um, potential patients who may be suffering um, but don't know about PMDD yet. It's about finding people who may have um, a misdiagnosis and it's about improving um, standards of care. When it comes to my role at IAPMD, so my actual job, um, awareness is more at a um, a provider level at the moment. so we're doing lots of work, you know moving towards doing provider education so that there are more trained the last look for trained empathetic providers that people can go to about PMDD.
0: Yeah. In your opinion, how well informed are medical professionals about PMDD? I know we briefly spoke about it before and how, when I was talking to Anika Wahid, that there are, is some element of um, medical gaslighting. In your opinion, how well informed are medical professionals?
1: I would say it really depends on that person's interest. PMDD like I said is still a relatively new diagnosis you know it was added to the DSM-5 in 2013 and it was only I think late last year that it was added to the Mm ICD-11 so that's the international um, classification of diseases so it's really new and it's really frustrating and I know people are probably going to want to scream at me and i understand it because i used to be so so angry so so angry that you'd go and see these doctors and they didn't know Mm. but gps can't know everything but they should have a good understanding of all women's health problems like it shouldn't be an optional that they do i think in the uk again we are fairly lucky you know if you look at the iapmd provider map there is a lot of um professionals who can help people with pndd in the uk you look at the map in america there are massive gaps
0: yeah you
1: know five six hours drive we do have people in the uk we can be referred to it's not enough Mm. they're not well informed but it's happening it's definitely happening um and we're pushing for it and it will get better but we do have to remember it's relatively new which is frustrating but i think there's never probably been a better time <laughs> to find out about PMDD because every year it's just going to be getting better and better and better. There's going to be more training. It's going to be more evidence. There's going to be more research. You know, we didn't have that before. Yeah. You know, it's building on it. And I'm very lucky in my job. I get to see like the research and I get to see what's going on. And it's really exciting because you're like, oh, okay, stuff is actually Yeah, happening. you're at Things the front line. being made better.
0: Yeah, you're at the front line and like, you get the dialogue going and very, like it's improving. Very fortunate to see what's going on.
1: So, in my opinion, how well informed are they? Not enough, because, like you say, people shouldn't be going in. And I've had exactly the same experience of being gaslighted. You know, and being told just something all women have to deal with. It's just like American PMS. You know, an American form of PMS, which of course is I've
0: never had that. I've never had that one. (laughs) American PMS. It's
1: just it's just an Americanism for PMS because they know it's in the DSM five so yeah it's in no way near describes what it's how challenging (laughs) I won't swear (laughs) how challenging it is to to live with and go through yeah PMDD every month so I would say they're not well informed enough it's happening I want to give people hope that you know not every person walks into a doctor's surgery and is met with issues and too many people are, but we're working on making that so much better. So it's only gonna get better and better
0: and better. It's kind of, I've got another kind of point here actually leading to that, um, which is as GPs in particular are gatekeepers to other NHS services, how well informed are they and what can be done to improve this? So like, obviously we were speaking about how like aware they are with PMDD like what could in your opinion what could they do because they are gatekeepers really to improve their education and you know the information they intel and keep
1: well I, th- I think that comes from higher above to be honest so recently uh, we were involved in the Royal College of Gynaecology's, um better for women program and um, you can find it all online you can download the whole thing yeah and um, you know there's all women's but all All party parliamentary groups on women's health, the Royal College of Gynaecology have done so much work on what needs to be done to improve uh, women's health in the UK. And it needs to come from above. You know, it needs to be in the training. GPs can only know so much, you know, so there should be a solution to that would be like to make sure you have GPs who are trained in women's health. Yeah. You know, have specialist services, have specialists, remember when you might be too young. I mean, there used to be women's health clinics, you know, more family planning clinics where people would go for this information to talk to people that understand more about contraceptive pills, the risks of them, the good things, the bad things. You know, so one it comes down to training, which needs to come from a higher level, um, at your GPs in terms of what they can do. Um, personally if they wanted to I mean there's um, treatment guidelines in the UK which again mm-hmm. most countries don't have we're pretty far ahead um, there's guidelines they could download them and they can read them <laughs> you know yeah the evidence the evidence is all there for what we currently know so you know I, I think not not to push it back on the patient but also patients can help themselves by printing out this information and learning it. And yes, we probably, you know, we shouldn't have to advocate for ourselves all the time, Mm -hmm. but at least in the UK, we have that, you know, we have treatment guidelines that, you know, if they're not being guided by, you can put in a complaint, you can go to your practice manager and say, look, this is what's supposed to be done. This isn't what's happening. You know, we have a bit of leverage. So there are certain things in the UK we're very fortunate to to, to have, and um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, the NHS is struggling, and so many GPs are leaving. So, I, I think I think personally, like women's health centres and women's hub women's health hubs yeah. are kind of the way forward for all these conditions because far too many people, not just with PMDD, but um, spectrum of of health disorders are just falling through the cracks so I I think it's got to be a real joint up effort but I would definitely recommend looking up the the better for women
0: it's got some really exciting steps in it thank you for that yeah it's funding funding funding, funding funding it always comes down to money at the end as well yes it does it does Um, In what ways do you help people who suspect they have PMDD look for signs? And what advice do you give to people who have it and they want to manage the symptoms?
1: Um, So I'll break that down into two answers. In terms of people who suspect they have PMDD, I would always send them to the IAPMD website. There's loads of information. There's a a really good page on there called I Think I Have PMDD. Which kind of really talks you through the basics, you know, Mm -hmm. to track your cycle. You know, it it gives you a downloadable, uh, printable sheet, um, a tracker app, you know, so you can start tracking your cycle, you can start tracking your symptoms alongside your cycle. Yeah. And that will hopefully help you and your doctor distinguish between PMDD and PME um, because they're so often confused and
0: quick question overlapping, well, so. quick, quick question, just so if people aren't mm-hmm. aware what PME is, could you quickly break that down for us as well? Because obviously I sure. only recently found out about PME. I'm constantly learning about this, um, even though I'm yeah, suffering um, a bit from it. But PME is quite there. a new thing. So yeah, if for people who aren't aware. Sure. So um PME is premenstrual exacerbation and this
1: happens across so many Health conditions, Um, IAPMD focused mainly on the sort of psychiatric ones. So um, flaring up of bipolar symptoms, borderline personality disorder, anxiety, depression, any mental health disorder that will be exacerbated in that luteal phase. It also happens for um, physical health conditions. So, um, you know, arthritis fibromyalgia there's all these connections that you know the hormones flare these symptoms up so when you were talking about ptsd yeah that would you know it's likely that you perhaps you know i'm not going to diagnose you i don't know enough <laughs> and i'm not a doctor but you know it can be that people with ptsd you know have pme where perhaps you're you're dealing with it okay and then you know it just flares there's yeah. these sudden triggers or it might be part of your PMDD, you know, it it is something that really needs to be looked at.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's like um, such a good point that you've made profession. now. Yeah, like, honestly, now that you said that, it's really worth looking into that because it definitely does flare up during the luteal phase and it does feel like I'm just so not in control of it and it's just very overwhelming and very debilitating.
1: Yeah,
0: and it's hard because so PME is even
1: newer a phenomenon than pme it's not an official diagnosis yet it's a phenomenon that's being studied
0: the uh the public often confuses pmdd with bad pms how can we create better awareness between the two create a sort of differentiation i think it's um
1: i mean there's so many answers to that i think sharing stories is so important in the media you know the amount of time at times we put things out um, or we have someone contribute to an article, and then someone contacts us and says, You know, I show that to my partner. Finally, they understand. You know, I think the public seeing these stories in the media is important to actually highlight how bad it can get. Mm. Um, I think we need to be very mindful in the fact that um, we define it properly as patients and explain, you know, it is, so, I mean, the difference between PMDD and PMS is, you know, severity, essentially, you know, PMS does not interrupt your life in any way. It's unpleasant. And, you know, I'm not saying I don't want anyone to go through it because, you know, it's not a pleasant experience if if it really um, affects you. But PMDD is a separate biological condition. It's in the DSM-5. There is evidence to show that those with PMDD have a different um, cellular response to hormone fluctuations than those with PMDD, those without PMDD do. Um, I think we all just need to be called. This is a good question. I think to be honest with that, the answer is going to be time. Mm because you look at how things have changed over the the last 10 years when talking about other health conditions and other things. You know, things move on, language evolves, Mm -hmm. people become more aware, they educate themselves, you know, around so many areas of life, you know. So I think you look at how, like, baby blues now, how people talk about baby blues and postnatal depression. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're very different things. You know, but things evolve, people get more educated and hopefully the same will be with PMDD. But I think it's going to be a a matter of time and,
0: yeah. I know we briefly spoke about schools and education and sex education before, very briefly. What role do you think Mm -hmm. schools, boys and girls, have in increasing awareness? Because I feel like it's so imperative that boys should know about, PMDD and PMS and the fully wired up as well because you know when you get older you are amongst yeah. women you work with women you go to university with women you're you know it's it's a common thing maybe they have siblings that are um like females yeah. so
1: or partners
0: yeah exactly you know,
1: yeah it's I think it's really important not just in schools but I think generally across society it's really important that both you know males and females And any other people um, have an understanding of women's health generally. I think we need to be really careful not to just point things at PMDD because um, that's an issue. You know, much as we want our condition to be out at the forefront and the most important, you know, it needs to be factored into a programme. You know, it needs to be that um, in schools, they're educated about periods, blood loss, mood changes, lumps, bumps, you know. I thought one, one event I went to that was really sad and she said um, a woman, it was a women's health um, event up in London and one of the speakers said, you know, why it's so important for me that young people, especially men and boys, educated about this stuff is because she had um got vulval cancer cancer mm-hmm. of the vulva and her son who was a teenager didn't tell anyone he didn't have any support he didn't tell his friend because he was so embarrassed to um, say the word vulva yeah in front of anyone and she's like that's just and that always stuck with me because i just thought it's really it's sad, so sad that he had to go through that yeah. through embarrassment and, and he was know, dealing with it alone. It's the range. It, yeah. Yeah, not, not wanting to tell all his friends, not wanting to say the words, and not wanting to talk about vaginas and vulvas. And, you know, it's, I think, I mean, there, there's so much to be said around it. You know, it's not just PMDD. It's understanding bodies. It's yeah. understanding... Cubic hair it's understanding that sex isn't like porn films yeah <laughs> you know there's it's like a massive spectrum like with you know in reproductive health and sex, sex education that really needs to be part of education as a whole you know yeah. it can't just be pmdd much as we love that yeah it has to be part of a bigger picture so that they understand you know periods and what's normal what's normal when to get help you know, the fact that, you know, sex isn't a porno yeah. <laughs> and consent and all of these things that come under this big, big spectrum that need to be
0: understood and, um, you know, factored into educational programs. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there, and I feel particularly proud actually because my producer's a man, and he's been listening and been editing these episodes for this series, and he's been fully wised up on what PMDD is, and I feel like, ah, I've, do you know, I've made a difference there. I've taught someone. (laughs) I've taught a man. and it
1: does it. It's really rare, I must say. I speak to. (laughs) <laughs> my partner came home from Argos today and he said oh there's a woman at the jewellery counter speaking really loudly about her marina and her <laughs> marina <laughs> coil and he said I was going to call you and tell you like one of your lot was in here because he's like you just you love all this hormone stuff but you know he's he's learned so much about it and I just think it's I've lost my point of view but it just made me laugh because I was like you know there's it's so important that everyone can just understand it and understand what it is. And, uh, yeah, I've lost my track. I'm just cut me off there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think what you're... I think I know what you're getting at, but it makes everything a lot easier. It makes communication. It makes talking about issues and problems so much easier if boys had an understanding of it. It's just... What, yeah. If, I, think, I think everyone. Yeah. Not just
1: boys. Yeah, you everyone. Know, it, should be, yeah. it should be everyone. I don't think the focus should be on boys especially or girls especially mm. i just think generally in schools across young people yeah there and i think it's happening i think i've been and sat in lots of conversations and like um world quality gynecology and the eve Appeal, um sisters the womb room there's all these places you know and that's you know that's just a tiny snippet of people doing amazing stuff who are out there and sort of pushing for better and pushing for this education Mm. and understanding but i think um it's really rare that i have a conversation with someone i talk about hormones and periods and suicide a lot and um it's really rare that i have a conversation with someone and they don't go oh i think i know someone that might have that you know or i think yeah, I think like my sister-in-law might have that, you know, you're kind of little planting little seeds as you go around. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just so important to have that um, open dialogue about things. You know, I remember I, I dated one guy who couldn't even like stand talking about periods. It literally would make him feel sick. And I'm just like, oh, my God, how are you going to cope in life? I, I mean, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't laugh. <laughs> but you know it's it's um very strange considering it's just such a natural you know cycle yeah. that goes on it's, it's strange but yeah i think no i think everyone should be aware of all these factors you know and pmdd i think it's just very important that pmdd is included you know i don't think it has to be the focus it just has to be part of a bigger spectrum, bigger spectrum yeah you
0: know of education what advice can you give to someone who suspects they may have PMDD or recently diagnosed with it? So I would say,
1: um, I mentioned earlier, there's a great page on the IAPMD website called I Think I Have PMDD. And it's a really good place to start. It tells you, you know, how a diagnosis is made. Um, a diagnosis is made through um, historical tracking. So you need to start tracking your mood your symptoms alongside your cycle. Um, This is really important to distinguish between PMDD and PME um, because lots of people, we have a self-screen on the IAPMD website and it's usually about 50-50 that people who fill it in may sort of 50% sort of go PMDD and 50% end up PME. So which is quite interesting because we're mainly known as a PMDD website. So it goes to show just how many people might be misdiagnosed again. So they might be diagnosed with PMDD, but actually be better suited to having PME and having the root cause of that treated. So um, I would say personally for me, read, read, read. Like I read everything I could, join support groups, get some support get understanding i would yeah i would say to someone to educate themselves because sadly we do still have to advocate for ourselves generally and that sucks but there are lots of tools available to help you do that there's loads on the ipng website i would say join some facebook groups find some peer support connect with your people because it's such a relief to connect with people who, who get it without you having to explain it they know what like you know I'm day 26 means they know what I'm ovulating means yeah. in terms of PMDD like there's a, a natural understanding and empathy there so for me educating myself was just really really important um, and I think that's just such a good place to start because then you've actually sort of got a bit of a base to to work from Um, and again you know I'm bigging it up at the IAPMD website we're working really hard to to make sure it's really comprehensive and has information that people can need we're just working on um updated treatment guidelines for patients like patient versions of treatment guidelines so people know what to expect and you know, do SSRIs work for PMDD and do, you know, should I take a gap in my birth control or should I take it all the time? You know, all these things, we're going to have it broken down really, really easy for people so they can actually sort of like navigate the the treatment journey a bit easier.
0: I will attach that link in the episode's description because I think it's really important and resourceful information that everyone should read anyway but um yeah I'll make sure I attach that in the episode's description and as for the Facebook groups I yeah, found because I'm I've joined them as well and I feel like I've now and with doing this podcast with these amazing women I feel like I've now found my tribe of PMDD warriors yeah. and it's so humbling it's so yeah. nice to be able to t- talk to people who have gone through it, and like you said that ex- know exactly what day 26 means and etc etc right I've made such wonderful friends
1: through having PMDD. Not that I want it, but at least I've met some really amazing people who completely get it. They understand, you know, when you're really, really low and perhaps, you know, you're not going to hurt yourself, but you know, you don't want to be there anymore. And you can have, you know, I've got so many friends. I can WhatsApp and be like, today is bad. And they know I'm safe you know but
0: it's a silver lining to isn't it? To,
1: who kind of gets it yeah it's a really nice silver lining I have to say I'm I'm very fortunate and um I'm kind of weirdly fortunate that it's kind of led me into a, a career <laughs> in a strange way but um
0: it's definitely a strange experience to have PNDD well, it's definitely an amazing thing that you're doing, raising awareness and you're making the movement a lot more easier for people who are suffering and getting the dialogue heard. And you're doing an amazing, like honestly, it's a fantastic job and I've got a lot of respect for you and everyone that's come on. But thank you so much for coming on today, Laura. I know we've been doing this in lockdown and it's not been easy, but um, I really appreciate your time. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. That's all we have time for now. Big thank you to all the strong, inspiring women who participated in this project. If you enjoy these episodes, make sure you tune in to my next series, which is focusing on men's mental health. Don't forget to subscribe.
1: Produced by the AV Club Podcast Production.